Let's, let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for the morning, we're grateful for your word, and we're grateful for our hearts after it. We'd ask that you would help us benefit and understand so we can benefit and help others understand. In your son's name, amen. We're in Daniel 9, always a risk. Mostly because Daniel 9's got those prophecies that a lot of people make a lot of charts about. We're going to assiduously avoid that portion of Daniel 9, which is the prophecy of the 70 weeks, which, if you want to sit down sometime and talk, I'd be happy to talk to you about the prophecy of the 70 weeks. But the wonderful aspect of Daniel 9 is uh, what leads into that prophecy. This is at the end of the Jews' time in Babylon. Uh, Daniel, is, you know, is an, prophet exile, an exilic prophet like Ezekiel. He's been there since the beginning, since about probably taken as a hostage uh, in about 605, 606 BC. And now it's around 535, 536, 537 BC, 70 years later. So he was probably a teenager when he was taken. And so now he's in his 70s, 80s, something like that. Maybe 90s at this point, old, especially in antiquity. This is the first year after the Persians have taken power. The Medo-Persian Empire had come in uh, under Cyrus the Great, Cyrus II. And it says here, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by birth of Mede, who became king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years, which, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Well, there's a confusion in there because people who, who have heard of Darius, because there was a Darius the Great, and then there was a Darius II, and then there was Darius III, um, think it's one of those Dariuses, or is that Darii? Um, th those Dariuses were Persians. This Darius is a Mede. This Darius becomes king over the land of the Chaldeans, in specific Babylon, at the, first, at the same time that Cyrus has taken Babylon and the Babylonian Empire. So Cyrus is the, the over-king. Uh, he's the one. I have a little king list, just for those people who care. Uh, the Achaemenid dynasty, uh, which is uh, you know, four kings before Cyrus II. And then you have Cambyses II, Darius I the Great, which people think this might be in reference to. But this Darius is a Mede. He is the son of Ahasuerus. And Ahasuerus is not the Ahasuerus of Esther because that would make him Xerxes, and Xerxes I is until the mid-400s BC, and already you're a hundred years after Daniel. Uh, you don't really have a, a Darius to put this with, but the text is clear. It's Darius the Mede who is king over, 
And he's the Darius of the lion's den. Okay? You don't... But uh, there's some interesting scholastic work written on whether the uh, various characters in secular history that we know of that rule over Babylon under Cyrus uh, line up with uh, Darius, uh, this Darius, the Mede. I'll loan one to you if you want. But more importantly, uh, Daniel has been reading his Bible after a fashion. I perceived in the books the number of years which according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass. I have the prophecy, Jeremiah 29 here on the left hand side, that tells you how long when 70 years are completed for Babylon I will visit you. Jeremiah is pre-exilic and into the exile. He stays behind in Israel as Daniel and Ezekiel are taken off into exile. And he's prophesying to the people, but telling them, hey, settle down, it's going to be 70 years. Now Daniel, he's faithful. You know, you ever read your Bible? You've heard of these? You've read through certain things. Some books are written on all the promises of God and all the this, that, or these things that are offered to us. And we sometimes find the promises of God and we want to collect, right? We want to go, okay, you said you were going to give me everything I asked in faith. You, you, you go finding these promises, you know? If I raise up my child in the way that it should go, you all know that passage? You know the promises. You've stumbled across them. You've read them intentionally. Daniel was doing that too. He had, he had an end of a prophetic word. And he was alive at the beginning of it. And he's alive at the end of it. Kind of a nice deal. He knew it had to be 70 years. So I turned my face to the Lord God seeking him by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying... The next bit is Daniel's prayer. What he said to the Lord. That's kind of what I want to encourage you to think about in terms of your own uh, spiritual exercises. That as you are in the Word... And as you realize what Christianity is supposed to be like, no, not the usual, we win against the Mormons and the Islamic uh, threat. Uh, more people get converted and our team wins in numbers or our church is rich or our, our, uh, the excitement of our theology is sweeping the whole earth or somebody wants to publish a book I wrote. But the things that God has promised that are really... God coming through for his love for his people. God has got many promises that we have available to us. You look at Galatians and, and it tells you what the fruit of the Spirit is supposed to be. Just that alone. Just, am I loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, gentle, faithful, self-controlled? Am I? That's what the promise of the Holy Spirit is. That's the natural outworking of the grace of God in us. That we would have victory over sin because 
We are under this grace. Sin shall have no dominion over you, for you're not under law, you're under grace. And so this wonderful grace of God, especially in love, love fulfills the commandments of God. We know these promises about the Christian life. And we sometimes are reading through our Bibles and we're beginning to be aware that what's going on on the ground isn't quite where the word of God said I would be. Why am I angry? Why am I not rejoicing? Why am I depressed? Why am I impatient? And so like Daniel, we might say, look, God, you promised but part of the problem is the difference between Daniel's prayer and um, our, our, our temptation when we see the promises of God and we go on our knees before God, there's a bit of accusation. It's basically say, well, God promised, taint happening, God failed me. Now suddenly, of the two characters on the scene, myself and God. It didn't happen. The living God, holy, righteous, all sorts of other things, faithful, steadfast, terrible and mighty. He probably blew it. Because I, I, I really can't imagine me blowing it. But Daniel's not like that. With sackcloth and ashes, he made confession. Because when you find out from the revealed word of God that X is given unto you, in his case, 70 years before the release from Babylon, and you know you're, he's, he's been given not a promise of a coming Messiah at who knows when, he was given a number of years. And he was there when the prophecy was given, and he was there when the 70 years were up, and he's trying to, you might say, collect versus the vague promises of spiritual edification that we might have in Christ or other vague things of the Old Testament of the coming Messiah. When was that going to happen? Who was it going to be? We don't really know. The prophets know. This was 70 years. He was praying with confidence. You know, when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, you don't ever say to yourself, I wonder if God really wants me to be loving. Does he want me to be patient? Really, honestly. It's so much fun being impatient. It is a desirable thing. And when it's not happening, the promises of God, and you go to God, the, the phrase that struck, at, struck me when I um, was reading through this this morning was uh, down in verse, well, let me read down to that point. Oh, Lord, the great and terrible God, who keepest covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from thy commandments and ordinances. We have not listened to thy servants, the prophets, who spoke in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To thee, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, confusion of face. That's the phrase. Because I don't want you to be looking for the Bible, for the promises of God, as if there's something you can go collect on. 
because he doesn't want to be embarrassed, so he's got to pay out. That in the covenant between you and the living God, all confusion ought to be on your face. You're not negotiating a settlement with God. He is great and terrible, and his covenant and steadfast love exists and is always paid with those who love him and keep his commandments. And Daniel's very clear, and we didn't do that. Honestly, Lord, we didn't do that. We didn't listen to anybody you sent. Well, if only he sent, if only the argument for the Bible, if only there was a prophet, a prophet could stand up here and levitate six feet off the ground, say a word from the Lord, and then where would we be? Same place we were before, because we believe this is full of the prophetic word of God. We believe this is written by apostles. You can't get a Christian to read the dang thing. I don't mean to refer to the Bible as the dang thing, but it, well, that's how people treat it sometimes. Like it's just sort of a devotional necessity. Gotta go do my Bible reading. We're not perceiving anything. Well, we're too ready to have, we're not ready to be confused of face. We are still busy running our own lives. And if we have decided to run our own lives, really the first step is not to be perceiving in the books written what God has promised. Because you don't want to start on this, right? You don't want to start on this process of realizing that the reason your life is in the uh, outhouse is because you didn't even begin with perceiving what kind of good life is promised. I think Christians in some places, not, not you guys, of course, I'm sure, uh, but I've, I've, I've met some Christians who don't even know what the promise of the Christian life is supposed to be like. They don't realize the joy and the peace that are necessarily present in the believer who walks in the light. Period. I'm sorry. That's just those he keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. The Christian life has available, and we don't even, people think that it's this, oh yeah, well, you know, nobody's perfect, and you know, we're all really working through this, and doesn't even begin to reach the position of confusion of face. You know, it's a great description, right? Ever, you ever talk to a 14-year-old boy? Oh, some of you are girls, right? Some of you are attractive. Have you ever talked in the midst of your most attractive moments, just say you were just great hair day, makeup went on well, you're talking to a 14-year-old boy, and you just watch confusion of face, Blushing, slack-jawed. We can't control what happens on our face. My wife and I speak of the bitter face because we can see, you know, older women at Walmart with years of bitterness written right around their jaw. You know what? The face says it. Which direction we look. We look away when we don't want to encounter somebody. 
He turned his face, verse 3, to the Lord God. And when you turn your face to the Lord God, the reason the 14-year-old boy has confusion of face is because he's dealing with an ultimate reality called the chickdom. The ladies. He does not understand the ladies. He's an idiot with regards to the ladies. The lady is standing there in all of her glory and all of her confidence, and he, she's, you know, I don't know, 18, and he's 14, and he just goes to pieces. We, all of us guys have been there. The confusion of face happens when I turn my face to some reality, and I know, I cannot avoid knowing, that the reality is with the other. That the truth, the objective, the, 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 that which is really measuring the situation is the other, not me. When we realize in the scriptures that the error is going to be mine, when I go before the Lord and things aren't the way they ought to be, when I've seen the promises and the joy is not there, it's not because God's not handing it out. He's not handing it out to you. And confusion of face is yours. The conceit of thinking it's God's doesn't recognize, O oh Lord, the great and terrible God. To thee, O oh Lord, verse 7, belongs righteousness, and to us confusion of face, as at this day, to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which thou hast driven them because of the treachery which they have committed against thee. He didn't break covenant. Israel broke covenant. Israel is in captivity in Babylon because of years of covenant breaking. All the aspects of the law, all the aspects of righteousness, they were always going after other gods. God finally up to here with Israel. And even though Josiah had taken the people back to the law, he said, I'm sorry, this is underway. I will not take them as long as you live, but as soon as you die, they're out of here. There are some places that we go. And when Daniel, a righteous man, is praying in, as the mouthpiece of Israel, realizing what's going on, what's gone on, what the promise was going to be, all he can do is stand facing God and feel the confusion in himself and in all of Israel before God for their own treachery. Ever... Certain words, you like certain words, I like certain words. Um, I won't go into that, but eat up time. Treachery. No, it's not that you're just not a strong Christian. Think in words like treachery. You know, Benedict Arnold, sort of treachery. Judas, treachery. All the goodness of God laid before you. And you say, I don't struggle with this. Well, great, because that's, but in terms of knowing this passage, you have a ministry opportunity in ministering when you're talking to someone who is pretending to be on 
that right, the right team and God being viewed as the one who failed them somehow. They go into some of their sins. I was talking to a, I had this weird experience with the, with the wedding this week. I, um, I don't know if you know Paul and, and Marnie Langworthy, but uh, her dad, uh, Mr. Roberts, talking to his wife. They were at the rehearsal dinner at her house and we were out on the porch, you know, afterwards. And um, they were a very nice older couple in their 70s, mid-70s. And uh, turns out he'd been in the Navy. Asked me where I was stationed. I said, El Centro, California. And he looked at me. I was in El Centro, California. He said, what years? I was there from 73 to 77. He was there 73 to 75. He was the jump master, Warren Officer Roberts, that I remember, in the 70s, on my base of 400 men in the desert in Southern California, and now he's on my porch smoking my cigars. Dear believer, gave me his testimony. He preached at Grace Baptist Church in El Centro, which was out on the road towards the base. He knew some of the pastors I knew in El Centro. But he also related he had fallen away from the Lord. Very, you know, just he was right with the Lord for the last, you know, couple decades, but he had fallen away from the Lord for about 14 years because some Christians hadn't worked out. You know, how you, you see something in Christianity, have you ever been, been embarrassed about the way Christians are? And so what does the, the evil one say to you? Well, this is a good excuse to be just as evil as they are, for some reason. Our treachery, when you start to think, oh, that wonderful hymn that... Uh, John Newton wrote that David had requested. When you see Christ, when you turn your face to the Lord God, and you're seeing the reality of who he is, confusion of face starts to register with you. And with confusion of face, the acknowledgement that you have been treacherous, you have taken the grace of God, shall we therefore sin that grace may abound? Treachery they have committed against thee. To us, O Lord, belongs confusion of face. Verse 8. To our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. Everybody. And look at this. And look at how we'll twist this next verse. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. Which, as Christians, we're big on, right? That's what the gospel is. Jesus died on the cross. Mercy and forgiveness. Because we have rebelled against him. God is merciful and forgiveness. And we, and we see that in him. And so, but you realize it is rooted in your treacherous behavior. Because we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus Christ had to die. He owns mercy and forgiveness. And sometimes we're so thrilled with the mercy and forgiveness we almost think we owe sin some time. 
just to keep the shall we therefore sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? But God's character wonderfully shines in our treacherous behavior. We have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by following his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Set before us by his servants, the prophets. We haven't done it. We haven't thought about it. We haven't gotten to know it. And I'm encouraging to whatever degree, because each of you has a different degree of marveling at the word of God. You, you, you're in the word, you're thinking about the things of God, you're taking things before the Lord. And I want to encourage that processing more so that even if you're righteous like Daniel was, Daniel was a righteous man. But he carries this load for his people. And understanding this load, even if you're carrying it for others, carrying it for the church, carrying it for some other believers you know who just, just saying, Lord, I want to take and make confession for us all. I want to always understand where the confusion of faith exists. All Israel has transgressed thy law and turned aside, refusing to obey thy voice. And the curse and oath which are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done the like of what has been done against Jerusalem. Now, this is a depth of, you might say, knowledge. He's not just going, oh, I stumbled across a verse in Jeremiah, which I'm kind of going to make my life verse. He's reading the law of Moses. He knows the history of the Jews. He says, nothing like this has ever happened. I know what the centuries look like. If you talk to Christians who think that it's really bad now, oh my gosh. Marrying gays, dogs and cats living together. What's the classic reference? Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. The first one. Dogs and cats living together. The apocalypse. It's been awful down through history. And you, Daniel's familiar. He said, but. He knew that something that happened to Jerusalem in his day was nothing like what had happened before. But he knew. He was juxtaposing what was going on against the word of God, against the histories God had laid out. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God. We have not confessed. They were moaning all the way to Babylon. Oh my gosh. Taken to Babylon. Dang it. Seventy years later, the righteous man goes, maybe somebody ought to pray about this. 
turning from our iniquities. We haven't entreated the favor of the Lord. We haven't turned from our iniquities and haven't given heed to thy truth. Look at those things. Entreat the favor of God. You know which one's face is stable reality and which one has confusion of face. And the confused face kneels down in front of it, the face of reality, and says, Your favor. I will turn from my outlook that makes my face confused. I'll give heed to your truth. That's why the 14-year-old boy has a confused face. He doesn't know how to talk to a girl. They're magical creatures. Unicorns and, and uh, rainbows. And the pit. They're crazy. And we think that, we know that, but they're so wonderful. And we get confused because we don't understand that world. We don't understand God's world. We haven't given heed to his truth. We've insisted on running our face the way we thought faces should be run. Right? Ever seen yourself on a video? It's almost as bad as hearing your voice for the first time on a recording. It is a wake-up call. Yes, you do look. No, you don't take... I just don't take good photos. No, you take very accurate photos. Bradley will tell you how a camera will work. It has a lens, okay, and a des- uh, f-stops, you know, aperture settings that create a better focus, and, and you have a focus ring, and it sets everything up so that the light beams coming from your body, bouncing from the sun or the fluorescent light or whatever, enter that lens, and at the focal distance, imprint themselves on the digital backing or the film emulsion. In which case, no mind is involved here, only the laws of Newton physics, or maybe even whatever you, you like to be. And it's not devising a falsehood somewhere along that line. Okay? You know, we're, we're removing Photoshop and Instagram and things like that, that you throw in filters where your own falsehood comes in to help you. We all know that Bruce Jenner doesn't look that good as a woman. But Photoshop sure helps. I could look good as a woman, with a beard, (laughs) with Photoshop, always referring to Photoshop. You do not take bad photos. You look bad. The photo just took a photo. You see yourself? You don't realize, especially when other people are looking at you who have a better sense of reality, you ever see, Leslie wants to be an old woman someday, in a couple of weeks, that uh, will be the kind of woman when young women come into her presence, she's going to say, Stand up straight. Stand up straight. <laughs> because all the women are walking around like, <laughs> You don't know you look like that, do you? You think you're walking around like, you know, Belle out of Beauty and the Beast. You think you're lovely. Now, have someone take a video, follow you around all day with a video camera. I'm sure this has a point. <laughs> our, our confusion of face is our conceit 
finally meeting up with the face of God and realizing that he is X, Y, and Z. I am not. I don't understand the real world. Everything I was let running across my face, running across my life, making me stand like a silly idiot, is because I think I know what I'm doing. And as soon as you realize, as a 14-year-old boy, you don't know what to do with your hands, I can remember discovering pockets. Boy, that was a lifesaver. Because when you're 14, your arms are like twice as long as they were the night before. And you're knocking over glasses in restaurants. So you put your hands in your pocket and you leave them there for about two years. Therefore, verse 14, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. God has a view. This is wonderful about God. I think I mentioned this before in church. Jake Sandmeyer and I were talking one day about if this is not the inspired word of God, it is the most brilliant thing ever done by human beings. It is the most brilliant piece of literature, the most brilliant piece of philosophy in history, the most brilliant piece of ethics that don't exist if there is no God. If this is not inspired, this is genius and connected from the time of the creation down to the coming of the Christ and his apostles in a coherent way. That's what our God has produced. And our, our reasons for living are these momentary excuses we put out there of why you did it, whatever it was you did. If you read that sentence you'll find that proofreading is your friend. It is not an event hat is a lie. It's even that is a lie. We might have little, little philosophies of why we did stuff. Little explanations of how you think the world works. Because you're, you're that 14-year-old kid who still hasn't realized, you know, it's not working for him. You think you know. Isn't that even worse, ladies, when some 14-year-old boy thinks he knows what's going down and tries to talk to you with confidence? Uh, they just should go to a monastery between the ages of 12 and 16, maybe, maybe 18. We have awful, <laughs> have a blue book, a yellow pad, something. Write down your philosophy for life. Write down how you actually function. Why you do things. Why do you speak to your children that way? Why do you speak to your wife that way? Why do you speak to your boss that way? Why do you do this? Why do you do that? Does it all make sense? Are you a coherent measure of what people should be like? let alone you. We're deceiving even ourselves, and sometimes when you face the Lord God, only confusion is going to wash over you. 
And now, O Lord our God, verse 15, who didst bring thy people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and hast made thee a name, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. Do you know what his name is? Have you read the word? Do you know the great and the terrible? It doesn't matter that we're the church. We could be the only true Christians on the planet here at All Souls Christian, the special. And God is still the great and the terrible. And God will take his covenant people to the woodshed as per necessary. My father loved me. Probably still does. I drive him places now. He can't spank me now. Though he probably desires to spank me now. But he spanked me then. But he loved me. I knew that. I knew that throughout. God loves his people. But don't let the conceit of his love for you confuse you as to what's going to happen. We have done wickedly. And it says, verse 16, O Lord, according to all thy righteous acts, let thy anger and thy wrath turn away from thy city Jerusalem, thy holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people have become a byword among all who, round, who are round about us. God doesn't mind. His righteousness will trump his shame that his people are like this. He is willing to embarrass his people. He's willing to see them because he cares for them and they had covenant with him they had opportunity to reach out for the Christian it's again not reaching out for this is a temple of God or these are the priests of God or the law of Moses we have the new covenant in Christ we are far more the true Israel and his name is lived out more in us Oh, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord of the glory of God the Father. That's what we have. If we don't understand that his word, his memories, his character, his name, his face defines reality. And I must stand in front of him adjusting and to the degree I don't need to adjust, God bless you. That's called walking in the light. That's called the Christian life. That's called holiness. That's called, call it what you want. That's called God looking at you and saying, well done. To the degree you need to be less confused of face, this kind of humility, this kind of recognition, this kind of crying out is um, an adjustment. Now therefore, O our God, hearken to the prayer of thy servant and to his supplications. And for thy own sake, O Lord, 
cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary which is desolate. He is so much the reality. He is so much, he, he made heaven and earth. He defines his character, his everything that rests in this life rests in him. And his face is that which should overtake all things. It's what you want to appeal. You want him to be looking upon. You don't want God turning, I think it says in Peter, turning his face away from the unrighteous. When he turns to something, when he lets his face shine on something, that's the reality. Versus the collection of mouth breathers we Christians have become. And why do you, when somebody says, oh, they're mouth breathers. Well, what's wrong with that? I have a mouth and I breathe through it, right? What's a, what's a mouth breather mean? It means that you don't have the sophistication of self-governance to breathe through your nose and shut your mouth, because that's slack jaw, right? Because that means when somebody's called a mouth breather, it says they, do not, they are not governed well enough. And that's what we need to know. Are we governed by God's reality, God's face? Or do we still have a conceit to one degree or another? But we all, to whatever degree, want his face to shine upon the covenant we enjoy. The sanctuary in Jerusalem, the holy hill in Jerusalem. Those are all the things of the old covenant. You have something being built by God in you that's far more important. Oh my God, incline thy ear and hear, open thy eyes and behold our desolations in the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee on the ground of our righteousness, but on the ground of thy great mercy. That's one of the greater lines in scripture. Not on our righteousness, but thy great mercy. I think the point on the side here that uh, we face up to it. And it's an apt, how apt that is when you face up to something. That's what we have to do. I was talking to a guy years ago from this church who had fallen away. And uh, we were sitting on my porch. This might be 20 years ago. And I said, you don't even want to look up, do you? He didn't, physically, didn't want to tilt his head back at all. I mean, whatever, whether that was just a metaphor or whether it was a reality, he wasn't ready to face up. Ever find that, that position, kneeling when you pray, facing up when you pray? I don't necessarily mean in some medieval or ancient sense that you have to believe that God's in the sky. I do, but you don't have to. But it's amazing what that does to you because it puts you under the whole vault of heaven. And God's face, you've turned your face to the Lord, and his face is either being called upon to shine on you, to bless you because he is good, 
And you only offer either faithfulness or repentance. Those are the two things. We don't go to him with accusations. The ground of his great mercy. I have to know who he is. He is the great and terrible. And when we look at God's face, when we turn our face to him, and our own confusion takes over, we are given this, the humility allows you to start reflecting the Lord. Um, I have this favorite passage of mine out of 2 Corinthians 3. Now, because Daniel was looking at the law of Moses, and just, it was a splendor, the writer of Hebrews talks about it as a splendor that was just unreal, but the splendor of the new covenant far greater. We are dealing with something that's far and above higher than what Daniel was thinking of. 2 Corinthians 3, it says in verse 15, Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. But when a man turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That in the Spirit... That's how it's defined. In the Spirit, you are gazing upon the face of God in Christ and are being changed in that gaze because you know where the confusion exists and you know where the mercy exists. You know how good his promises are. You know how faithful he's willing to keep, faithfully he's willing to keep them. And you know how merciful he is to people who are confused of face. But I have to come bearing the confusion. Bearing it and saying, Lord, we are confused of faith. We humble ourselves. We confess our iniquity. We confess that we wanted to run this the way we wanted to run it. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, give heed and act. Delay not for thy own sake, O oh my God, because thy city and thy people are called by thy name. He ends his prayer with this belief that God himself, the reality, is the most important thing to vindicate. You notice how that was happened in Job, when Job gets to the end, after all the good arguments he has with people, God says, how come you weren't vindicating me? You were vindicating Job. Even the righteous. Even the righteous. Daniel here even though he's good enough, he could have not accepted some of this confusion, but he says, this is for your great name. Is your world defined by his realities? Have you studied to find his realities so that you can stare upon them and look down at yourself and go, am I standing up straight? The Navy, we call it, is your gig line straight? Your, your tie, your buttons, your, your lacings. Everything had to be straight. You held to a standard. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, 
The man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He came and said to me, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you wisdom and understanding. At the beginning of your supplication, a word went forth, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. There's a good relationship between God and man. Daniel was committed to seeing the, way, the world the way God was in it, how he was in it. He had succeeded to the point that God sends Gabriel to chat with him about the next prophecy, which we will not go into, because it's complicated. But he was greatly beloved. That's where we want to be. We want to be heard. We want to be his. We want to see the world as if our minds were part of this wonderful construct that the Word of God has set out to define the world, that our mind is included in that, that we're linked, we're networked in. Let's be thankful. Dear Lord, we're grateful for your Son, for his face that has shone upon us as his people. We'd ask that whatever confusion we should bear, we would faithfully bear, and we would take it before you to look for your face so we could reflect it. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.